0: Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thank you for joining us for our special Sunday sermon on God with us wherever we are. Good morning Cross family. Uh, my name is Rick. I'm the pastor of student ministries here uh, at the Cross. And I'm very thankful uh, to be able to speak today and to bring this particular message. Uh, I think that uh, I speak for at least most people when I say two or three weeks ago, we probably did not. Expect that we would be gathering like this uh, in our homes digitally, Um, but I'm thankful for the staff who really does the best they can to love the Lord, love neighbor as self, be wise. And so um, please be in prayer with everybody afflicted with COVID. And um, the good news is a major part of this message uh, is the idea that we need to keep more in the front of our attention, that God is with us wherever we go. In fact, that's the title, God is with us wherever we are. Um, so, uh, not everybody knows this, but uh, probably about nine months ago when the lockdowns first started, um, it was just, I mean, a week after the youth group came back from Snowbird, the retreat up in North Carolina, and so that was quite a shocking difference. Like, it's an awesome time. We're in the mountains. Where there's a bunch of church services. It's its one of those spiritual highs, and then we just, like, went into lockdown. Quite the shock. But uh, that Wednesday night after we returned, uh, what we'll normally do is uh, have the students share the biggest takeaway they took, and so it gives them an opportunity to speak, it gives me a little bit of uh, rest from that weekend and all it took. I tried to sleep in the van for a little bit last time, it didn't work, they knew where I was. Um, but uh, at the, So they had a lot of good things to say, and then the, the timing on this could not have possibly been better. I don't think anybody realized how profoundly helpful this was going to be, but it's helpful for us to remember right now as well. Uh, One of my former youth leaders, Jonah Gwynn, did the benediction, and what he was trying to tell the students is, listen, we all know about the, the youth camp high, right? And we know that we come back, and it would be a mistake to just try to preserve that high all the time. Like, you go back to normal life, and you get to know the Lord during daily life. Sometimes there's low points, and he says, the camp high is great, but he said these words, and I'm remembering it 10 months later, which is That's a good communicator, right? He says, your location is not your salvation. And no one would have guessed that we would have then been stuck in houses for four months, right? Um, But that's a really important thing to remember. Uh, The Lord is with you here. Um, And again, that's a major point of what I'm going to be trying to communicate to us today is the abundance of opportunities that we have to worship. That we often overlook. Right. So, um, just about a year ago at this time, I gave a message on the same topic: God with us, Emmanuel. That's what that means. That's what Christmas is a celebration of: is God being with us. And uh, at the end of that message, I got my favorite piece of feedback I've ever had. It wasn't the most encouraging or validating or something, but at, right after, uh, Jeff Gwynn said, "You really." really had a good time talking about that, didn't you? And it was such an interesting piece of feedback that I didn't even know how I felt about it, but I thought, I absolutely did. That that It's actually one of my favorite topics in the world, um, and it was a cool thing to hear. And I would say for everybody listening right now, whether you're listening this on January 3rd on Sunday or after at some point, my biggest hope for you is that a result of of hearing this message today is that you would enjoy thinking about the fact that the presence of God is with you, that he has been present to us longer than we've even been alive, certainly before we could return the attention to him. This This is the best news in the world, that God is present to us, and he's leading us into a life where our aim is to give him more and more of our attention in daily life. So... Um, this, is, this is really what life is all about. The with-God life is another way of describing the Christian life, uh, the with-God life. And so uh, it is fun to celebrate it uh, during Christmas, um, but it's, it's not just a new thing, right? But I mean, this has been around for a long time, but Christmas is when we really celebrate it. Um, I had a, a friend who was a senior pastor years ago, and he talked about one time just hanging out with the staff, they're eating lunch, And it was the youth pastor, of course. Youth pastor is the one that says things sometimes that really aren't all that wise. I try uh, to not do that. But, you know, this guy's like 40, bleached his hair, that kind of youth pastor. And he just blurts out, "I, I hate Christmas. And that is not the sort of thing you want to say on a church staff or if you even just want normal people to like you, right? Who doesn't like Christmas? If, if I heard that, I would say, you know, Home Alone is a great movie. Right? There's so many things you can appreciate about Christmas. There's cookies. Um, who doesn't like Christmas, right? But the pastor was curious, and he said, why? <laughs> you know, what is it about Christmas you don't like? And the guy said, I don't, I don't worship a baby. I worship a risen Lord. And he thought... Again, I would have gone at this from a bunch of different angles, but the pastor said, so he kept it kind of muted, and he just said, yeah, the incarnation's kind of a big deal, right? And I don't want to hear about how you feel about Easter, right? Um, we, we, uh, the fact that God himself, who was here before the universe existed, would come near to us in human form and submit himself to the limits that we experience for the sake of being closer, to demonstrate who God is up close, is some of the best possible news in the world, right? And so I'm very thankful to um, be celebrating that with you guys this season. Um, So the first thing uh, I think that's really, really important to remember at all times, one of the most important things to remember in the morning, just any day you wake up, is that we were created for the with God life there's a great christian thinker uh, many many years ago who said that he was praying and he says you have made us for thee and our hearts will be restless until they rest in thee so we, i think it's it's really really crucial there's a bunch of different ways we could spend our lives but the the earth exists our lives exist for this one end and that is to do life with god now the thing is that's actually really really good news right because um, as I said at the end of the conversation with Tim last week, uh, and I'm totally lifting this from John Piper, God is more enjoyable than all He has made. Right? This is so. It's fantastic that we exist in order to live life with a moment-to-moment awareness of God's presence to us and our desire to cooperate with Him. And that sounds like a bad thing if you're not if you don't really enjoy God's presence, right? And that's truth is none of us enjoy God's presence enough, but um, the good news is that God really is more enjoyable than all he has made. Now, um, one of the, uh, the books that I think is, is really, really helpful for beginning to, to be a fan of this reality is written by John Orberg. It's called God is Closer Than You Think. And I really think you guys would enjoy it. I'm driving home one day listening to it on my audiobook thing on my phone. And I'm just tearing up. I'm like having to like be really, really careful turning corners, right? Wipe my eyes as I'm driving because this is a really, really greatly written book. And one of the things that uh, John Ortberg says in that, in, in the book in the beginning, is that the main message of the Bible isn't I forgive you. It's I am with you. Now, the forgiveness of God, absolutely important. Jesus died for the sake of our forgiveness from God. It's very, very costly. This is a huge issue. But the main point of the Bible isn't just that we're forgiven by God, that we're cool with him, or like we're straight. It's that there is now the opportunity to really be with God in an increasingly joyful way. Years later, uh, Ortberg is at a conference interviewing Dallas Willard, and he says, what is something about the gospel that you think that we've kind of gotten wrong, that we need to start getting right? And Willard said, we've often presented the gospel as you get to go to heaven after you die, and I think it's it's more of an issue of going to heaven before you die, right? And he's not being glib about that. He's talking about the best part of life uh, on earth being the best part of heaven as well. And that is increasingly joyful glimpses of God's love for us. God's love for our neighbor is just as joyful. God's love for creation an increasing knowledge of the character of God that is so good, it is the cause of our joy. Richard Foster's asked the same thing. What what do we gotta be focusing on? And he says, it's not so much about getting you into heaven as much as getting heaven into you. And this isn't a stretch, right? This isn't like a a new feel-good thing. Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer that God's kingdom would come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the way that happens is through us, through us desiring to cooperate with God. Paul talks about being filled to all the fullness of God. And there is no commercial advertising a watch or a car or a board game to connect with your kids or a university to go to. Nothing advertised would make a claim, anything close to the possibility of us being filled to all the fullness of God, and Paul says the way that happens is by knowing the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Right? This is how um, how that happens, and and again, this isn't this isn't just a new thing. This isn't a Christmas lesson. I think we emphasize the celebration of God's presence with us on Christmas, but it is for the rest of the year. This is this has ancient roots um, in Exodus chapter 33, verses 13 through 16. Uh, Moses is having this conversation with God. And if you think about all of the different things Moses goes through in his life, I mean, it's, it's radical. He's had his ups and downs, all kinds of stuff. And they've been uh, rescued from slavery in Egypt. They've received the Ten Commandments. And this is what Moses says to God. He says, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you. And continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And he says, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That sounds, Jesus says something very similar to that in the New Testament. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all of the other people on the face of the earth. And his attitude, I think, is exactly the attitude we need to have as soon as we wake up in the morning. And it's the proper attitude to have. Eugene Peterson says that when you begin each day with the knowledge of God, God who existed before the universe existed, um, the knowledge of God and our need from God, our need for God. He says you're beginning at bedrock with no frills. Right? If, you, if we keep this in mind, this is absolutely the fundamental way that, that things are, we're not wasting our time. This is, we're, it is the beginning of a skillful and wise and fulfilled life to begin with the knowledge of God and my need for God. Now, again, the good news about this is that God is more enjoyable than all he has made. It would be bad news if we were created to live with God and we just absolutely couldn't stand him, Right? Um, but the, the good news is, if you think about all the things that you enjoy in life, all of the things that you've dedicated your life to, God not only is the creator of those things, but you're, the oxygen you breathe to pursue it, it is, it is very easy to imagine how God could be more enjoyable than all he has made when you realize that everything that we've already given our lives to and have chased and hopefully have found disappointing to some degree, he was the inventor of all of that. And then when we, when we understand that these things are actually gifts— that they're expressions of his love that is the greatest cause of joy when we when we reflect on these things um, so um, the solution to this that we don't enjoy God as much as our joy would require right as our character would require uh, the solution to this is to become a student of Jesus I'm, I'm my theory on discipleship is this I'm certainly willing for other people <clears throat> uh, to push back on this if they, if they think I'm wrong, but I, I don't think the main point of discipleship is to make the world a better place. I don't think the main point of discipleship is to make us feel like um, we're good enough Christians. It's not even to make us a better witness. All of those things are important. They are all consistent with commandments from God, but I believe that every problem in our life And humans are the ones that cause the problems in life, right? The major, the core to all of um, most of the mistakes that are made and, and certainly any sin committed is a lack of enjoyment of God, a lack of being enamored with God's ways and wisdom. And discipleship is the framework that increasingly helps us engage our daily activities with the aim of learning to enjoy God more than we do, to actually learn to enjoy him as much as um, he is enjoyable. Um, And so this isn't, um, this is the thing that will keep us from being too heavenly minded to be any earthly good, right? I'm not encouraging navel gazing or being removed from the world. We're talking about learning from Jesus how to engage the world with all of his wisdom, with all of his love for neighbor and everything else um, with all the wisdom that he would have. So to review so far uh, we were number one we were created for the with God life I mean this is this is the the reason we exist it's the reason stuff exists is to live life with God right The second part, the really good news the reason that's good news is because God is actually more enjoyable than anything else that he's made And third, It's not great that we don't enjoy God, but the solution is to become a student of Jesus. And why? Not to make the world a better place, although that's going to happen. Not to be a better witness, although that's going to happen. The main reason we would want to be a disciple of Jesus is because there is no version of you that can enjoy the presence of God more and imitate Jesus more than Jesus in your position, right? Um, so if we make the mistake of thinking that the abundant life, the really good life is found in being at the best in a particular niche or being excellent in, in a different way, uh, let's say that you know, you believe that the abundant life consists in um, being a billionaire investor. What you will be doing is asking, what would Warren Buffett do in my position? Now, I happen to know he has McDonald's every day. That's fantastic, all right? Um, I'm not aiming to be the richest guy, but I appreciate that he does that. That's maybe a a nice habit. Um, But you would ask, what would Warren Buffett do in my situation, right? If you wanted to make a big tech company, make a lot of money, help people share fake news, you would say, what would Mark Zuckerberg do in my position, right? Um, If you wanted to write the greatest sitcom of all time, you would ask yourself, what would Jerry Seinfeld do in my position? Uh, If you wanted to travel to Africa and be a legendary hunter, and take down three Springbuck with one arrow, you would say, "What would Neil Rampersad do in my position? It's one of my favorite stories. And uh, if you wanted to marry out of your league, you would say, "What would Rick Bloomquist or what would Tim Cash do in my position? Uh, Tim would agree with that, right? he's He's told me. And the answer, by the way, is you harass God for fifteen years for a really fantastic wife is my answer at least. Uh, but what I'm saying by this is the way that we Uh, seek to achieve the picture of the good life that we're seeking is by finding out who did this well and you become their disciple, right? And the truth is we are probably, I guarantee you, there is some version of the good life you're looking for already and we're already taking our cues from somebody. Dallas Willard would say, you're already somebody's disciple. It's really helpful to know who it actually is. But again the idea that the good life is found in a particular niche or in a particular situation um, would that would really conflict with a biblical understanding of the world we don't want our we don't want our happiness to be dependent on circumstances right I tell the students that that happiness comes from what happens and the problem with that is a lot of things happen right and you don't want your mood all over the place and uh, you don't want to be driven by fear and anger all the time. We're, we're talking about wanting a certain type of internal stability that is grounded on, uh, on joy in the Lord, really, That from the belief that we are not our own, but God has us. And, the, and this is the real comforting thing. The purpose of life is to learn to be who Jesus would be in your position. You won't do anything better than that. And in any situation, there is a way Jesus would do something. In any situation, it is really, really possible Um, to accomplish your destiny in that moment, to ask, Lord, how would you do this in this situation? Um, So I think the biblical understanding of joy um, isn't for a certain set of circumstances, but an attitude based on the knowledge of God's goodness, God's love for you, and God's love for the people you interact with that engages all of life whether it's particularly boring, whether it's really exciting, what's going on, it's not finding joy in one particular part of life, but understanding that 24 hours a day um, there is something to really worship God for. Um, Even sleep being seen as a true gift from God. So um, I don't have time to go into all of the reasons why this isn't the norm, um, but I I found a helpful model a few years ago Uh, that said if you're a leader if you're a parent if you have some authority it's helpful to know that there's generally four reasons why people don't do what you want them to do Uh, or there's four reasons that you don't do what you want to do and i think there's basically four categories of reasons that we don't do what jesus would be calling us to do as his disciple one is if we just can't right Sometimes. You ask people for stuff, and they just can't do it. Uh, Another is that they don't know what you want. They don't know what you're asking. That's really helpful. Oftentimes, we don't know what we want. It's interesting how often Jesus asks, what are you seeking? What do you want me to do? And it's not that he doesn't know. Uh, Some writers would say it's that Jesus wants them to know what they're really looking for, right? So sometimes we don't even know what we want. We don't know what the other person wants. And then the other two reasons are we don't know how to do what someone's asking us to do. We don't know how to be a disciple of Jesus. And I don't have time for this. This is a much bigger issue, but sometimes we just don't want to, right? If you're a parent, you have run into situations where the kids just don't want to, or you set plans for yourself that you think you're gonna start tomorrow. It turns out, you the next day doesn't want to, right? But uh, what I wanna talk about uh, with the remaining time here, because I think I know enough people that this is the bottleneck, uh, that that I hope this would really be helpful. It's just we don't really know how. We don't see enough models to where that is what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. And so I just have a few different ideas here. Um, but but one, one thing I think is uh, helpful to think about here is, uh, Dallas Wheeler says that uh, we often in the church have devotional lives, but we don't have lives of devotion. And so what he's saying is we've got our Bible-reading habits, we've got our prayer habits, we've got giving habits, witnessing habits. These are good, by the way. Like, we should certainly continue to do those, um, but we don't have a life of devotion. And so this kind of reminds me of this saying. um, I'm reading this book right now about basically, and I'll tell you, I'm reading it in order to be thankful, but it's a book about basically all it takes to, to have civilization run, and it uh, talks about the development of different technologies and whatever. And it's a, the desire is to not take things for granted. I'm reading it for this reason. And he talks about how different civilizations develop different technologies at different times. And he says there's there's a bunch of different civilizations that had the wheel, and they had boxes, but they didn't put together the idea of a wheelbarrow for a long time, right? And he, And he said this saying that I think is... It's almost something like Yogi Berra would say, like it's kind of like a funny thing, but he means it. He says, the wheelbarrow could have been invented hundreds of years later, if only somebody, if only somebody would have thought of it. <laughs> and uh, in the same way, now this happens all the time, right? There's a bunch of stuff that we would need in one spot and we just haven't figured out how to put it together. Even, and that's, you know, that's a picture of, well there's you know, a lot of people, they're not necessarily talking. I read an example yesterday of the Gillette Company having a division that takes care of batteries, a division that makes toothbrushes, all, everything you would need for an electric toothbrush, and these, these people just didn't put this together. Like This is something you could have combined and competed with other companies that are doing this. And so when Willard says we have devotional lives but not a life of devotion, what he's saying is there is so much of our lives that is an untapped opportunity for worship. How would you do this? The short answer would be, we learn to reframe daily tasks that we take for granted that we don't even think about, that we don't even remember that we did that day, those become sites of worship. And I don't think that this is, um, this isn't like a coping mechanism to make our lives more interesting. It isn't like a way of saying, well, if we have to do it, we might as well do it this way. I'm suggesting that like, this is what we're actually, this is the main site of worship anyway. So there's a a monk named Brother Lawrence who wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God, another really fantastic book similar to God is Closer Than You Think. This guy's trying hard. I mean, he's taken vows of poverty. He becomes a monk. He lives in a monastery. And his mind wanders all the time in prayer. And there's a lot of prayer in a monastery. And eventually he kind of realizes that uh, when he's washing the dishes, he feels... More connected to God than any other time during the week. It just—it's for some reason it's easier for him to connect to God while washing the dishes, and it, his entire life ends up being this um, this this path to giving more and more attention to the Lord. And he says something that's so different than what I've heard before that there's—I think there's really something to this. We know that you know comparison to other people is the thief of contentment, right? But and he didn't he wasn't saying that he did this, but I realized he wasn't even comparing himself to himself. He wasn't even keeping track of his progress. What he says at the end is I don't know if I love God any more thirty years from where I started than than I did in the beginning. I don't know if I love God any more or any less, because to even let my mind wander from God for a minute would be a waste, right? There would be opportunity cost there. It would be tragic to take my attention off of the Lord in that case. And so when, when we say, what does discipleship look like? I think it's a matter of saying, what do I have to do today? I mean, it's, it's, it's a surprisingly practical question. What are the things that I need to be doing? And would Jesus also do these things? And the answer for most of it would be, yeah. <laughs> In your position, he you would. The, the things that you're doing, most of them are responsibilities. They need to be done. It is loving to wash the dishes. It's loving to take out the garbage. This is a, it's loving for yourself, for your family. And so, just as an example, I, I, I experiment with this. Uh, I think that um, one of the, the main benefits of discipleship to Jesus is a constant sense of curiosity. The question, how would Jesus do this in this position? That's actually a really interesting uh, way to live. And so, I, I found that, like when James says, consider it joy when you face trials, I don't do that yet. But I will say, there's been plenty of times where I just don't want to do something or be somewhere and the trial or the inconvenience becomes interesting, and that's better, right, than miserable. And so um, I'll just give the example of, of how this can work out. Um, I'm just copying Brother Lawrence here. The dishes need to get washed. Uh, this was a very odd Christmas for us. Um, Karen and I, I think we recovered from COVID, but we had it during Christmas, so we don't want family coming into town and that's different. Right? It's the first Christmas we've ever had like that, and um, the night, that, uh, night of Christmas, I'm, I'm falling asleep, and I, I realize I just, I have to thank God for all the awesome stuff that happened today, and I'm just going one by one and, you know, fall asleep. Next day, I, I wake up. Kara and Candace have gone to the store to find some, you know, good deals, and she got some Elf cereal for like 75% off, so that's pretty decent, that's cool for me. Nora just eats the marshmallows and I eat the rest of the cereal, um, division of labor and all that. And uh, But they're over at the store and Ricky and Nora are watching TV, and I go into the kitchen, and I mean like the dishes are everywhere, as they would be after Christmas, right? And normally when I wash the dishes, I would put on an audio book or a YouTube lecture or something like this. And that's a fine way to spend time. It's important to me to do that. But this time, on December 26, just a few days ago, I thought, the truth is, I think that it would be more beneficial in this moment if I just experimented. Who knows? And one thing Willard says is, you're not trying to be a hero. Spiritual disciplines are not about impressing yourself or anybody else. It's their wisdom, that's it, to get you in better touch with the Lord. And I thought, I just, I'm just i gonna have no headphones in at all, no noise, I'm just gonna try it out. I'm just gonna say, what would it be like to try to thank God for every dish that I'm scrubbing and putting in the dishwasher? And I'll tell you, I thank God for the fork, right? My mind wanders almost immediately, it's all over the place, and then I'm remembering, before I'm about to put on you know, an audio book, I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I'm doing. And that's okay, who cares, right? This is a learning period. And so I take Nora's sippy cup, right? Little Minnie Mouse sippy, sippy cup. And I, I mean, I don't know if you can see where this would go, but one cup, I just, I'm, and this thing is usually kind of gross. There's like solid, you know, milk brick in the bottom. It's, it's normally a terribly unpleasant thing. But I, I, I just, the first thing when I see this is I, I hear Nora in my head going, muck, muck, right? Just the little one running around. If you know our story, she's a miracle baby. We still don't know what to do with this. There's been a few times where I think, how did Mary, like, live life (laughs) with Jesus? Like, knowing this is the incarnate Son of God, this is like a a miracle baby. How do you do that? I guarantee you she didn't think about it most of the time, right? Because Nora's running around the house, and it's, it's once a month that I remember that she's an absolute miracle, but washing her cup, I remember, right? This is a miracle, kid. And... I think of waking up with her with this cup at 2 in the morning, rocking her to sleep. And then I'm transported to that memory, just saying at times, other times where I've just been thankful to God, saying, thank you for this moment when my kid is this little. I know it's not going to last forever. And giving my intense uh, attention in this moment, right? Right put her to sleep. We sing, Jesus loves me. And this, the stream of consciousness takes over, right? Then my head is thinking of the other day, how Karen and I noticed that Nora is pretending to feed her doll, her bottle, and Nora's singing, Jesus loves me to her doll. And it is the greatest, most adorable thing in the world. She doesn't speak English. We can really just tell kind of by the rhythm and whatever, what she's doing. And there's this well, my mood is elevated for sure, right? That's not the point of this exercise, but that's all happening, and what's going on? I am giving credit to God. I'm the pervasive sense of well-being, the, the acknowledgement of God as the giver of the most important things in my life is, is, is flooding back to me, right? And this, this is the reason we would enjoy God, is because of his love, is because of his character. My mind wanders and it goes off for a little bit, and I forget about all of it, a few dishes get washed. And then, as I keep going, I notice oh, there's this huge dish over here, where am I going to fit that, you know, and my mood starts to go down a little bit, and then I catch myself and I say, wait a minute, remember what you're doing, right? This is a thankfulness exercise, and I think the reason that this kitchen is a disaster is because it was Christmas, and though even though I couldn't taste a single thing, My wife can cook so well. The food looked so good, I forgot that I couldn't taste it, right? And I think what a gift Kara is to me. Because before I knew Kara, I remember, I mean, I I, I grew up with this attitude of austerity. Like I, I remember living with my roommate Ed, who was at my wedding, who I knew back at home growing up in Lake Worth, and I'm sitting at the kitchen table shirtless and shoeless and have a gallon bottle of water over here and two pieces of bread with a slice of deli meat in between and he comes in and says, what is this, the famine diet you're on? And I realize, why was I like that? Like when I meet Kara, the food is really good. Like Kara doesn't feel bad about partying. She makes my life more celebratory in addition to everything else. The thing about, about gratitude, And using gratitude as the main spiritual discipline to turn all of our normal tasks into a life of devotions, uh, all of the different things we have to do into a life of devotions, is that the way gratitude gets started, it's like when Socrates said, I'm the wisest because I know I know nothing. Well, what's he saying by that? He's saying that when when I learn one thing, that one thing teaches me that there's 10 things I don't know. And then when I go track down one of those things, that turns into twenty things that now I know that I don't know, and the world becomes bigger the more that you learn because you realize how ignorant we are, how limited our point of view is. It is the same thing with gratitude. You you thank God for one thing, and it turns into three other things you're thankful for. Then you keep going with that, or you forget and you return to it, and it just goes on and on and on. And again, this isn't just for the sake. This isn't just a therapeutic thing. This is. At least the way that I have found so far to enjoy the presence of God, because what we're re- what we 're doing is we want to see the way Jesus sees. This is why you would want to be his disciple to see the world that He sees. and I think one of the ways that Jesus would see the world in our position is to is to look at things not just as what they like are functionally, not what they would be at the store not what they would be to different people. To him, what is the world? It is a gift. It is an expression of the glory of God. And and this is what a main piece of discipleship to Jesus is. And so I would encourage you, just even now, think about what you need to do two hours from now. Um, the more specific and particular you get, the more opportunity there is for gratitude. The more gratitude, the more joy, the more joy, the more you want to thank God for, for creating you as an opportunity to know him. And so uh, if you guys would uh, bow in prayer with me, I'm going to uh, hand it over to Nick and the worship team. Um, God, I pray that you would continually remind us that even as good as life can be and as, even as difficult as life could be, the peak The thing that you're creating us to be, the thing you're leading us into, is to learn to see with your eyes in our position as your disciple. Because there is no greater way to glorify you. There's no greater way to be a blessing to our neighbors than if we become filled to the fullness of God. And there's certainly nothing better than than that for us. That the life you have for us, is not just to find happiness or distraction in different particular parts of life that have been set up for our enjoyment. Um, but that there is a way of approaching every moment of life as one giant, continuously engaged in gift from you where you are the treasure of it all. Um, We love you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, We hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You watch past messages, your testimonies from people. We pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.